Welcome back to the Strong Catholic Dad Podcast. My name is John Andrew O'Rourke. I am not a father of 10, but I'm joined here with my dad, who you've heard in the first four episodes, who is a father of 10. And we've made the decision that we think it makes more sense to proceed with this podcast as kind of a father-son combo. And so, yeah, why why did we decide to, to go that direction? Yeah, as, as we were talking things through, we had so much fun in show prep, and we would bring up uh, stories from our past, these past 28 years we've had together, um, and we would have these interesting conversations, and, and they would they would go on for a while, and we think, oh gosh, we should put that in the show, and we should put that in the show, and we said, you know what, we should just record ourselves now, and because we've got some great stuff that I think uh, dads are going to be super interested in, and so this was our opportunity to say, hey, let's go for it, let's let's do one together, because there's things that you bring to the the table as my son, um, that I think will be interesting and funny because there's things where we disagree with each other and, and times where you, you remember stuff that I don't uh, recall. And it just, it brings a, a greater uh, kind of authenticity to what we're trying to do. And I think it's going to help people, uh, you know, appreciate what a relationship with, you know, father and son can look like. So that's, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, the thing that we've been learning over the last four or five months of doing Strong Catholic Dad full-time for me and full-time together has been this whole concept of pivoting, of trying something, realizing that it isn't working as well as it could or that there are other things that could be working better, and then changing to that thing that's going to work better. And that's actually the topic that we want to cover in this episode of the podcast is pivoting as it applies to parenting. Um, And I can say as the oldest of the 10 kids that your parenting and and the way that my younger siblings have been parented has changed drastically from the time that I was the time that I was little. And so I kind of wanted to to pick your brain a little bit on how do you strike the balance between consistency, making sure that you're not, you know, here one day, there the next, but then also adjusting the rules and the different ideas of how the family interactions and family dynamic are going to look, adjusting those over time. What's that look like in the 28 years that you've been, you know, parenting me and my siblings? Right, right. You know, what's kind of funny about that is that we hear about that all the time. Uh, whenever I'll say a rule, it's almost like there's a there's a whole list of case law that the kids have in their mind and say, hey, wait, wait a second, that's not what the rule used to be. And they'll start quoting uh, the, the previous rules. And so, that, that's a challenge, but I, I think that it's real. I mean, like we do need to, we do need to shift because um, there is, there are things that come up that, that, which is the same reason why in law, you know, you have the constitution and then, and you've got a lot of law written down and then you've got case law, which is constantly changing to say, how, how can we dial this in? And one of the issues is that bad um, or tough cases make bad law. And so sometimes we have to look back and say, you know what, the reason why we implemented that uh, particular rule uh, was specific and there was a tough thing going on. And so that's not going to be a law going forward or a rule going forward. So I think one of the challenges is, well, first of all, (laughs) to hear from the older kids to come back and say, well, we we didn't get it that way. You've gone soft on, on our siblings. And I think, well, it's not really soft. I think it's more attuned to what the needs are, what What's consistent is that when is that the rules that we're putting forth are always designed to try to build virtue to get um, to get the kids to think beyond themselves to think about another to say how is this affecting somebody else so it's everything pushes back 
to the golden rule, like do unto others what you'd have done unto yourself. And I, I and so that's kind of like the first and foremost rule because there, how many times does something comes up? And it's like, well, you know, I, I hit my sister. And so it's like, right. Do you want her? Like, I'm always saying this over and over. Would you want her to hit, hit you? And she'd say, no. And I say, would you want me to hit you? And say, no, dad, you know, I, I don't want you to do that. And so it's like, that rule is the undergirding rule of all rules. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, for instance, the one, as I was thinking through this whole concept that, that struck me immediately is that when I was a kid, the bedtime was exactly eight o'clock and it was that way until I was at least 13, 14, um, far further into my childhood than a lot of my friends. And now I'll be at home. It'll be nine 30, 10 o'clock. And some of the siblings are still up and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> this is, there. this is not how it was. I'm like, you guys have it so easy. You have no idea. But I think yeah. that that's the, the truth is that that the only reason I want them to have a bedtime that's earlier is because then it would like make me feel better about myself. But the reality is, if you'd gone to me at that same age and said, like, do you think you can handle the responsibility of going to bed at nine or nine thirty or ten or whatever it is? I would have been like, yes, please give it to me. Right. Right. Well, and I would say that um, we went too long with you. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, the we started with early bedtime just because that's what was that's what you know mom and dad that's what we needed that's what you needed and we found that especially with younger kids is that um, when we were regulated in terms of, of bedtime like our kids did better like kids are great with schedule um, and your mom and I a lot of times we would stink with schedule like we came out of college where we really blew our schedule a lot. Um, there were many times where I was, you know, doing papers all the way, you know, till six in the morning, you know, like pulling all nighters mm -hmm. and we say, oh, I was a terrible all nighter. And we'd kind of brag about the all nighter, but it set up this pattern that was really bad uh, when it came to getting things done and like watching something, you know, watching TV late. And then I, like, I've got work the next day. So work actually forced us into uh, a schedule, but even more so when uh, having children, we realizing like, you know what, they're happier when uh, we get them to bed on time and they're happier when we get them up about the same time. And so there was a need for consistency, but, but that need for consistency kind of a, out of a little bit of ignorance and laziness, um, we, we kept it too stringent going forward, um, which, and what happens with the older kids um, is that they did like, you didn't necessarily push back right away. And when you did push back, it was usually um, times where I was like, well, you know, I've got my reason where we're sticking with it tonight. Um, so I wasn't as attuned as I am now looking back to say, well, this isn't just about me and, you know, the rules, the, the rules are to help me, but also to help you. And so as I'm looking at my kids saying, okay, what rule makes sense? And actually we have different bedtimes for the different ages. And so as they hit high school, or even uh, middle school, so sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they get to stay up later. And we have to be intentional about that because what happens is the middle schoolers begin to get upset if the little kids get to stay up as late as they do. And so they're all paying attention. And the high schoolers are like, well, gosh, you know, the middle schooler, the eighth grader, you know, got to stay up until nine. I should at least be able to stay up till 9 30, 10 or 10 30 or whatever, whatever it is for the, the individual one. But we've had to be careful to say like, well, what about for this and in, this individual child? Cause I have one person who, you know, she'd stay up really one daughter who'd stay up really late and then she's exhausted the next day. So I have to force it with her more to say, okay, here's your, your nine 30 bedtime. I need you in bed at nine 30. She rarely makes it in bed at nine 30. Mm -hmm. She's close. Um, what that usually means that I hold to nine 30 is that she's in bed by 10, <laughs> you know, it's in sometimes yeah, it's 10 yeah. 15. I'm like, okay, we're 45 minutes past get into bed. And, and the thing is that, in, in the grand scheme of things, 
bedtime is a story is a party story that I'll tell, you know, when I'm around people who were not homeschooled and who did not spend as much time at home and didn't have, you know, crazy assignments due the next day. But it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. It was just a bedtime. It did get adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um what has it been like with some of those more serious things? Like when you're when you're mediating a fight between two siblings and you take one side and you, you know, give a punishment, something like that. And then later on realize that that you actually made a mistake, you know, that that was the wrong decision or that you instituted a rule was the wrong one. How do you handle that kind of situation? How do you make sure that you're not just sticking with what you said because you said it, sticking with the rule or the decision because that was what was done? How do you handle the human error that goes into parenting? Yeah, um, there's there's a beauty and a goodness in making mistakes. If you handle, if I handle the mistake well, and the biggest thing I would say is like, we apologize a lot. Um, there are many times where like, I'll hear one side of the story and I'll get upset. It's like, well, she did that to you. And so like, I'm already predisposed against the, the other child. And so I'll come walking in the room. It's like, okay, tell me what happened. And I, I've got even got this attitude of you're wrong and good luck trying to, trying to change my mind. And so um, and so, so like it's, and there's even a Bible verse about that, that says something that I think it's in Proverbs and the song, I think Proverbs, like a fool is he who uh, makes a judgment after hearing only one side of a case. And like, it's taken a while for me to do better with that because like I, when I hear one side and it really offends my, my sense of, um, you know, if somebody got hurt, uh, like it makes me mad. And so automatically I have an opinion on it and to not act out of that opinion and to kind of like hold it inside and be like, okay, let me, let me hear. Um, and then from there, listening to the other side. And so, you know, sometimes what I'll do in it, cause I found with the kids, like, it's really interesting when there's different perspectives is that I'll say, okay, tell me what happened. And then they'll tell me, and then like to say, well, what would your sibling complain about you? You know, what would they say that you did wrong, which is really interesting because then they're like, well, and all of a sudden you can hear a different story. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me that the first time? (laughs) Um, But then uh, like I have to hold it together and try to be calm uh, when I hear the other side and say like, okay, you tell me what's going on. Tell me what, you know, tell me what your sibling would be upset about you for doing. And so that they out themselves so that they get... uh, they do a better job with that. I've had to pivot because there's, there's times where I've just acted, you know, I just said, Oh gosh. And I legislated and said, you did that wrong. We're not going to do this again. Um, and then later I'll hear from one of the kids that, you know, pull me aside and said, dad, you know, there was more to it. This is what happened. And I just think, Oh, you know, sweetheart, like, I I'm sorry. Um, I was mad cause, cause, cause a lot of times it wasn't even about the kids and what they were doing. It was about me. Like I wanted to be doing the thing that I wanted to be doing. Um, I didn't sign up to be a judge and I had no idea <laughs> that in parenting, like I'm having to do judgments a lot. You know, there's a lot of things where I'm pulled into a situation. And so some of it, I have to get over myself and die to myself and be like, okay, come and be present here because this is my responsibility. This is where the grace is. Um, and so set aside the fact I'm annoyed and then listen, okay, let me hear the one side. And, and again, and, and tell me what your sibling would say about you. <laughs> <laughs> that's worked really well. And then here the other side, and sometimes I've had a radical shift in my opinion, if I've listened to both sides, but I, I would say, um, there's a, there's a gift and a, like, there's a goodness when I, when I've done it wrong and I've come back and said, you know what said my daughter, Genevieve, like, I'm sorry. Like when I, when I said that the other day, I was, um, I was like, I got it wrong. And what she knows is that dad is not just answerable to her. I'm answerable to God. And so it really sets the hierarchy right that they know it's like, you know, dad's accountable. 
Um, and so I am accountable to them, but I'm also accountable to God, which just, I think it helps them, uh, them to be able to apologize as well, because they see that I did. And if I don't lead by apologizing, they're not going to do it either. And how can I expect them to do that with their siblings if, if I'm not doing that myself? And that was something that for me growing up was always the light at the end of the tunnel when there was a situation where I felt very frustrated or like what I wanted to be happening wasn't happening because I knew that you were trying to do what was best for me and mm-hmm. that if I could explain my perspective in a way where where I was understood, then there was the possibility for the rule to change. Mm-hmm. I remember we had certain rules that when it came to, at the time, instant messaging and when we were allowed to instant message, who we were allowed to talk to, stuff like that. And I really disagreed with some of them. And I remember specifically you telling me, you know what, John Andrew, there was no instant messaging when I was a kid. Mm. I've heard horror stories about the things that can happen, but I never had to deal with it personally. So I can't make a decision on this based on personal experience. So you're going to have to help me with what the what the particulars on this actually look like. And it took two or three months. I wish it hadn't taken quite as long, but eventually <laughs> there came a point where that where the rule completely changed. And I remember that specifically because I knew, you know what? We may disagree on this, but I don't have to just take the stance of, wow, my dad's an idiot and move on. Instead, I could Thank take the you. stance of, no, my dad wants what's best. <laughs> right. And, you know, and we can go from there. And, and the, the other thing about that whole, you, you were mentioning a second ago, mediating these these confrontations and asking, okay, what did they do now? What what would they say that you did? Mm-hmm. I'm just now realizing that that has influenced dramatically the way that I handle every confrontation, confrontation in my life. Mm-hmm. When someone says, you know, John Andrew, you're an X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Instead of just you know, negative X, Y, and Z, instead of just right. responding with a, with a, you know what, you're stupid and wrong and I'm perfect. Instead, the first thing I do is I take a, a step back and say, you know what, maybe the way you said that was really harsh. Maybe there's a lot of untruth in what you just said. But first, let me ask the question, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Is there an area where I can become a better person in this circumstance? Right. And then if there is, apologize for it, own the part yeah. that I can own. And I think that that's, that was a habit that was formed from the time that I was a, a little kid. And I knew I couldn't just go tell mom and dad, hey, so-and-so hit me and they would get punished and I would get away scot-free. Instead, it's, well, what did you bring to the equation? What did you do wrong? Right. And and, and I, I know that the, I just remember arguments that we had um, about uh, where I would be bringing something to you and, uh, and I would say, whatever, say I bring, I would bring 10 things and you would tell me about the nine that I got wrong, but you wouldn't jump in right away and tell me about the one that I got right. And it's, and so, and that wasn't on you. That was, I trained that into you because that's what I did. Uh, unfortunately, um, I would often like you, like you would come and tell me something and I would immediately think of my defense and I would explain how what you said was wrong, even though maybe it was nine tenths wrong, but there was one tenth that was right. And so, so unfortunately that pattern uh, is something like, like I've had to break, um, but you, you, that was ground into you far more because it was like this this defensiveness, um, which for whatever reasons that it existed, um, it got replicated uh, with you. And so, uh, and I I think Maria was, was better, far better than me at saying, well, you know, he's, he's got a point there. And I was kind of mad. I was like, okay, you know, okay, what's the point? I almost had to like, shut down myself and, and like, what, what is that one, uh, you know, one out of nine things. And I found that 
uh, that, you know, we struggled at times when I was just like, would you just tell me the area? It's like, okay, I didn't say the exact words here. Like, I don't want to be a, a, a lawyer here. Do you get the gist of where something is missing? Um, and so, and again, I, I was asking that of the kids and then, you know, Maria was pointing out, it's like, why don't you give that to them too? And it's like, oh boy, because it's this ingrained habit that I'm trying to get rid of. And uh, first of all, I had to realize it was there. Thank you, Maria, for pointing it out. And then even though it was painful at the time, but then in time to grow with that and say, okay, um, I need to realize that this is happening to me. I need to as well, shut my mouth, hold on a little bit, listen for, for where, where am I wrong? Um, because, you know, if somebody, if I'm saying, if I'm willing to say, you know what, I, I'm wrong here, the other person might say, well, you know what, in those other nine things, I, I just, you know, I was heaping things on. It's like, that was the, the biggest thing. It's like, you're kidding. And I could have been arguing about the dumb nine, nine things. So I think in parenting, it's like, it's really important to check myself. And like, if they're bringing something to the table, I need to hear what the heck is that? Um, and again, mm-hmm. I, that wasn't my habit growing up. And it wasn't my habit for the first probably 10, 15 years, uh, at least 10 years of, of parenting. And I still struggle with it at times. I think that it comes from this deep desire for a kid to know that they're good. Mm. And it's something that, that we have um, one of my, my younger siblings was she was the one who, who as a two, three, four year old was acting out all the time. She was the one, if you looked the other way, then she was halfway down the street. And we got in this habit of just saying, no, bad, bad, mm. bad, bad. Yeah. And, it was shorthand for what you're doing is not acceptable and you're going to get hurt and you're scaring us. And we, I mean, I remember thinking like if she gets hit by a car or whatever, like that, that would ruin my life, you know? And so you keep saying bad, 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 bad. And there was a point where I remember, I can't remember if she said it to me or she said it to one of you, but I heard about it immediately after where she said, why am I always bad? Why am Mm. I bad? Yeah. And that just, like, oh my yeah. gosh, like, no, that's, yes. that's not what this is. You are not bad. Right. The things you're doing need to, need to be, need to be curbed. And right. I think that, that this applies to, 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 to when you get into an argument with your kids and it's like, Hey, you did these things wrong. The kid wants, like for me, when you would say, um, Hey, you did these 10 things wrong. Th- this subconscious message that was conveying to me is you're a bad person because you did these Mm. 10 things wrong. And I'm responding to that going, no, 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 nine of them I got right. And and I remember there was this transformational moment for me. It was actually after I had um, left the house, but I was still working out of the garage on my film company. Um, Mm. I was seeing this girl and you and mom did not approve. And every time Mm. I would say, oh, I had a date with so-and-so, you guys would say, I can't believe that you had a date with so-and-so. This is not the right person. Why are you blah, blah, blah. And I was Mm -hmm. so offended because the underlying message was you're not smart enough or wise enough to see that you are screwing your life up and we can, Mm -hmm. or you're bad, a bad judge of character. You're bad. And I remember this went on for a couple of months and I just totally turned off my, my ears. I would, I would still Mm -hmm. tell you because I wanted to be known and I wanted to be understood, Mm -hmm. but I hated the response I was getting. And what ended up happening is I came into your office after I had just Mm -hmm. told mom about a date that went really well. And I was complaining like, yeah, mom just can't see why I would date this girl. And you looked at me and said, you know what? You're right. Sounds like there are a lot of good things about her. And I remember being like, wait, what? I know that you're not happy that I'm dating her and you just said that. And so I turned and said, but you still don't want me to be with her. And you said, nope. And then I said, why? Mm -hmm. It finally, like I was finally willing Mm -hmm. to listen to what you had to say 
because right. you acknowledged my goodness. You acknowledged that that I'm not crazy, that I'm not stupid, mm-hmm. that I'm not any of these things, that like I do have a judgment center that's been formed decently well. And that for me was transformative because mm-hmm. because I knew that that you saw the goodness in me. I knew that I was heard. And then I was willing to hear what you had to say. And you shared some things that that I'll never forget. And I realized like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I can trust my parents. They're not trying to make me miserable. Um, they right, do have right. a reason for the things they're saying. Yeah. And I remember that. That was, uh, well, twofold. One is um, she was a great girl. I mean, there, there was some really wonderful qualities in her. And I think, and I, and I remember listing out some of them and you were, and you were saying, oh, like, okay, yeah, you, like, like, yeah, th- th- that's true. Those things are there. Um, and yeah, I just remember you kind of being shocked and it's like, well, then what you just said a lot of good things. Why do you think this won't work? And I was like, okay, let's, let's talk more about that. That was a great father son moment where we could talk with the defenses down. And I would come back to what you said about, um, your one sibling who, you know, we, we said, you know, bad, bad, bad all the time. And I just like, and that pierces my heart. Cause it was like, gosh, you know, like I, di- I wasn't catching what was going on. And when I finally did catch it, it had been just, uh, she had heard over and over again, bad. And, uh, it, and, it, and that, you know, has taken years to deal with, um, because she really viewed herself as bad. It's like, you're not, but that's what she heard over and over again. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and as a parent, like that just hurts to realize that that went on. And I was part of it. Um, and then, and turn around and be like, man, I cannot let this go on anymore. You know, we've, I have to be careful with what we're saying. I have to be explicit to be like, no, 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 this thing over here that you've done, like, that's, that's not okay. Um, but then turn around like, what is okay? What is good about that person? Cause as you said, it really gets down to their, their sense of who they are and what those met, like everything that I'm saying communicates a message, my words and my attitude, like my attitude is key. And that's back to this whole thing of parenting and pivoting and, and parenting. I'm like, I have to check my attitude at the door when I'm in this role of, of, of parenting. Um, because I, if I come in with an attitude be like, well, you're wrong. Good luck proving uh, proving it differently. You know, it's just like, who, who wants that? Who wants to stand before a judge who's already judged them, you know, with their, judge you by your attitude? I don't want that. And so as, as parents, boy, do we need to uh, be checking our attitude at the door and, and, and being open to, and that's what pivoting is. It's being open to what is true. I mean, like, that's what God wants us to do is what is true. That's what humility is. Humility is, you know, bow down to the ground. What is, what is ground rock solid true. Um, and when you know that, then you can say good things about people and they can accept them and say, you're right. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good at whatever the, the, the skill is because, and that could be humble because it's true. It's what's truly true. And that definition of humility is something that I can, that I can wrap my arms around. And as a parent, when I'm, you know, parenting, that's what I need to be looking for, seeing what's true for myself and for my kids and helping them to live what's true, to know what's true. And if we're mirroring that constantly uh, so that we're getting getting to things that are true in the midst of, of a fight or a difficulty, there's there's kind of a, a peace that comes from that, a relief of like, okay, there's not something out there I'm trying to figure out that, that that's not attainable. It's like the truth is something we can get to. And there's even a scripture verse about that that says, you know, the truth isn't far off in some land that you have to fly away to across the sea. Like the, true, the truth is is evident and available to us. We just have to ask for it and have that be in our sights. I love all of that. And I think that coming back to one thing that, that you talked to the, in this, in this interaction that we had, um, the thing that you did 
that was so phenomenal was you led by example. You let your guard down and let me know that 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 you were hearing me and that allowed me to mirror you and let my guard down and Ooh, um, and okay. to start hearing you. And this uh-huh. actually works as a perfect segue to talk about the See For Yourself guide this week. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, the See For Yourself approach is something developed by my dad where basically he um, uses YouTube videos, um, shows them to, to the kids, and then they use those videos to discuss um, lessons about, about life and about the faith. And so um, you can actually sign up for the See For Yourself guides on strongcatholicdad.com where, we're, where dad's already picked out a bunch of YouTube videos on a bunch of different topics. And um, those videos then get tied to, to, to those two different lessons. And so what is the, uh, the guide that you did with the family this week? Yeah, so we did a, a guide that was called Dad's Teach, and it was um, there. We did there's about four guides that say Dad's Teach. This particular one was called Like Son, uh, which is and it comes from the expression Like Father, Like Son. And it and it and some of the videos in the guide were just really cool. There was a dad who was uh, teaching his baby daughter how to how to clean the house and how to cook. Well, it was it was hilarious because. Um, clearly the baby daughter wasn't learning it. She was too young to learn it. And it was, so it was, it was a, like a comedy, uh, video, but what, what we brought forth from it was the fact that this daughter really was learning something, um, whether or not she was learning how to uh, mop the floor, uh, which was funny because he dressed her up in a, in an outfit that had like map, tra- uh, mop trappings on the side. So when she laid on the ground, she'd clean the floor. Um, uh, <laughs> beyond the fact that we were laughing about that, uh, it was the, what was really impactful and what we brought out of the video is that this baby girl was learning that her dad cared enough about her to play with her in this way, to try to teach her. And that's the, like the major uh, lesson in, the, in this guide was that, that when dads take the time to try to teach, it becomes powerful because then the child knows like, you love me enough to teach me something, like love me enough to try to help me be better. And it's really affirming for the the dignity of the child. So there are some super cool uh, videos and they're just, they're funny. Um, and the, yeah, there's one more video of a, of a guy who's teaching his son how to play baseball. And he says, keep your eye on the ball. And the little kid, uh, you know, kind of nods and leans over and sticks his eyeball against the ball. <laughs> and so we all just laugh. He's like, he literally did what his dad had asked him to do. Uh, but what was great from an interaction standpoint at the end of that guide, uh, there was a wrap-up question. The wrap-up question, the purpose of those is to get us talking and share experience uh, with each other to teach something to just um it, it's not something that's like an intellectual thing where it's like okay you know like let, let's go through some truths of the faith um it, like from a dogmatic standpoint it's just like how let's relate and have a good question the question was actually it was a to-do it was uh dad this week do something with with your kids teach them something new and so the kids kind of looked at me like well dad what, what are you gonna teach us we just did this guide together and i said i'm gonna teach you something right now uh let's let's down to the basement. And the kids were like, well, what are we gonna do down in the basement? I said, come on. So we went down to the basement. I said, I'm gonna teach you how to turn off the main, wa- the, the main, the water main for the house. And my older daughter kind of had an idea of what that was. The other kid didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> so uh, we went downstairs and there's a column in our basement that looks like it's kind of architectural, but it's actually, you can open it up and within it, there's a handle. And so when I pointed, I said, all the water in the entire house comes through, through this pipe right here. And when you turn the, uh, the handle 90 degrees so that it's 
so it's perpendicular to the pipe. It shuts off the water in the whole house. And the kids are like, wow, that, that's really cool. And I said, why is this important? And uh, immediately my older daughter said, well, because when the toilet's overflowing, <laughs> you, need to, you need to be able to stop it at the toilet or stop it at, you know, downstairs. And, and so the, my other daughter remembered the time that I went tearing downstairs and like, dad, what's wrong? And I ran past everybody, didn't answer, opened up that column and, and shut it off uh, because we had a flood that was happening from something upstairs that, that was overflowing. Um, so, uh, but from a parenting moment, was really cool is that I was teaching them something. And so my little uh, younger daughter, Vivian, uh, so she's six years old. It's like she wanted to turn the handle on, on and off. I'm like, okay, yeah, but we're not going to play with this. Like you can do it, but uh, this isn't going to be a game. It's, not it's a like toy. a real thing. It's not a toy. Um, but like they could all reach in and they could do it. And, and it like I'm empowering them to understand you know, like how things, how things work. Um, and I'm taking the time with them for something that like I, if I hadn't done that guide, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I've taught the kids various things, but there's definitely the, the possibility I wouldn't have done that. And it, again, they have the power to know that there's there's a point where water comes into a house and there's a way that you can shut that off and protect yourself if you're having a flood or turn it on if there's no water in the house. So that ended up just being, you know, an excellent opportunity to teach them something where um, they're both learning. Yeah, they're learning the actual thing, how to turn the water on and off, but they're also learning that like I'm caring enough to point out the things that are important in their life because they need to know how to work within their life and to change things. And that's one of the cool things about God is that God gives us the power to grow and to change and to pivot. And so this in some ways was really teaching them how to pivot, how to grow through a practical experience. It's funny because I think one of the disadvantages to having 10 kids is that some of those lessons you teach to one, two, three, four, five, six of them, but mm. it can be missed for the other ones. Yeah. Um, and this reminds me of, I was on the phone with a sibling who will remain nameless for their, uh, <laughs> for the sake of the protection. Um, we're on the phone and the sibling starts hearing a beeping sound in the house, just every, you know, 30 seconds beep. And they have no idea what it is and they're starting to get freaked out. And I'm like, oh, that's a smoke detector. That just means that your uh, smoke detector's battery is running out. And this sibling is like, what's a smoke detector? And I'm like, okay, it's the thing that tells you, it's a circle thing on your ceiling that tells you whether or not there's smoke in the house and has a nine volt battery. You just go and you twist it off. And the sibling uh, says, oh, oh, I found it. It's not coming off. Like I'm twisting it and nothing's happening. And I'm like, we'd been on the phone for a couple hours. I was ready to go to bed and I'm just like, okay, what, what are you even talking about? What do you mean? It's of course it's coming off. And then I was like, you know what? Text me a picture of what you're looking at. And this person texts me back a picture of the sprinkler for the fire alarm <laughs> on the top of, her, of the ceiling. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Don't twist that any harder. If you twist that harder, you're going to have thousands of dollars of water damage. And, and so I went gallons and took, of water. <laughs> oh yeah. All yeah. The apartments. So, Oh, and so I went and I and I took a picture of our of our smoke detector at, at my current apartment. So this is the thing that you're looking at. And I'm like, Dad, you know, owns rental property. And how did you not learn that? And it was just one of those things that I learned. Other siblings have learned that. I'm sure that plenty of them know exactly, but this is one that got lost. So it's great that within the context of the guide, you can take a time take time with the entire family to go and teach them something that that they're never going to forget. And something super practical like turning off the water main. That's all we have time for today. If you like what you've heard on the podcast, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and encourage your friends and family to do the same. 
If you want to support the work of Strong Catholic Dad, you can become a monthly sponsor for as little as $5 a month. I quit my job back in 2018 uh, to found Strong Catholic Dad, and as of right now, it's not enough to pay the bills. So anything that you can do is appreciated. Until next time, be strong in faith, strong in hope, and strong in love. God bless.